today's show, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Tom Lavery. Did I get it right? Yeah, you did. Amazing. I'm so glad. Tom is the CEO and founder of Jiminy. He is a former senior vice president at Rewards Gateway and an all-round sales guru. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's awesome to be here, right? Yeah, excited. I, I, I had an amazing conversation with you a couple of months back and I was genuinely um, so grateful for the generosity you had in terms of sharing knowledge and information and obviously someone who's, you know, gone through the journey with multiple businesses in the way you are and, and you know, multiple exits, P-back companies, all these amazing things to do. I really was blown away at the fact that you, you gave me some great time and some amazing advice. So big thank you and really appreciate you coming down here now. But where did it all start for you? Oh, uh, I get that question often. I think... Um, for me, we started in sales, you know, in business. I, I think you never start with this grand plan of, you're, you're probably the same, where, oh, God, I'm going to be a founder and I'm going to have uh, this business, I'm going to do that. They're just little steps along the journey. And I think sometimes if you think too far away, uh, that can be a bit dangerous, you know, why haven't I done this yet? So I think everything is a step on the journey. But for me, I, I grew up in a sales environment. My dad worked in car showrooms and I was always hanging around and, Probably that subconsciously did a lot. Um, and then, you know, you started in careers in health clubs and management, got into that very quickly. Then it went into B2B, worked at all Gateway and then Jiminy. And it's just, you know, and it happens over time, step by step. But yeah, that's amazing. So sales is very much in your blood then. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you, there's stuff that I'm really passionate about. And I've learned over the over the years in business and product and especially with the company we have today. But yeah, I think at my core, I'm a salesperson, you know, uh, that's that's my domain experience. That's where, you know, I learned uh, how to get going in life. So, yeah. It's interesting. M the, the most successful entrepreneurs I know, or most of the successful entrepreneurs I know, they are the best salesmen, right? If, you know, it's sales, I think for a while was like a bit of a dirty word in a weird way. Mm -hmm. That's what I saw. And I, I want to ask, you know, about how wrong my perception might be on that. Mm. But I think now people are really, really appreciating the fact that if you are a founder, for example, and for a lot of all, our audience who mm. are founders, yeah, if you can't sell to a customer your vision, what's the likelihood of you being able to sell to investors? What's the likelihood of you being able to sell to top talent to come and quit their amazing jobs and come and join your project if you can't sell? I mean, how, how much how does much of that ring true to you? Well, people either are good at it or they have to get good at it. Um, a lot of that comes through passion, right? Uh, I think someone said to me once, you know, most startups don't fail, people quit. Ooh, uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think as well, you have to have a strong founding team where you are have different skill sets and you are all in it, you're all in. I think a lot of the time the founding team doesn't quite click or they're not on the same level, they can't give each other the same support. So that that's kind of the first step. And then I've, I've met lots of founders that don't have sales experience and just become good at sales as well um, mm -hmm. because they got it in them to do it. Uh, I think if you spend too much time doing the things that don't move the needle, like I could spend way more time doing other things in the business, but you always got to like check yourself and go, actually, does this do what I need to do? You know, is it the most important thing right now? You know, it's really, really interesting. And one of the things that I have found fascinating about sales is the interplay between sales and psychology and uh, the psychology and the confidence that goes into sales. How much, because, you know, we've used your product to an amazing extent mm -hmm. in our business and we can see that confidence probably has one of the biggest impacts in terms of someone's natural ability 
while selling. And there are obviously amazing things that you can do to optimize and improve and, and all the things that, you know, you, you guys are a massive enabler of. But we see that that confidence, how that person is feeling, that mentality is uh, such a key determiner on the outcomes they get. So what techniques, tips, tricks would you give, you know, young salesperson starting out about the, the mental game of, of selling? It's funny because I was talking to some of the team about this the other day. <laughs> but, um, you know, Jiminy is just a, a vehicle and it will evolve and do many things over time. You know, we're a very mission-driven company of helping salespeople and CS like be better, right, in those commercial customer-facing roles. But we, we have a playbook. It's all about data-driven coaching. But, you know, you might point out these amazing data points or the one metric that really matters, but it's about what you do with that data um, to improve performance. So you always got to have that human input and effort um, to do it better. But, like, if you break it down and someone's got a, uh, a convert pipeline conversion rate or a win rate of 21% and you're looking at another sales rep and it's 33%, why? Uh, most of the time in, in my experience, yeah, there's a little bit of skill and, and, and experience, but it's mindset, it's mentality, um, it's, it's a general approach, um, resilience, all of those things. That, that's what makes a difference a lot of the time, you know. It's incredible. And when you quantify it like that mm -hmm. and, and that it could be as significant as the difference between 21 and 33%, the fa I, it almost feels like psychology, confidence, coaching is something which every sales organization needs to be investing heavily in when it can have that, that much of a significant impact. Yeah, there's, there's different ways of coaching, right? There's like what we have in our product, which is feedback coaching. Like, oh, what was what was game changing? What was different? Like, how would that that ultimately work? And there's there's like just personal coaching. Um, like have you got a coach in your life? Whether it could be a mentor, could be someone in your team, might even be your manager. It's just like getting you to think differently about how you approach every meeting, every call. We do something. Called, there's loads of them out there. We do something called insights discovery. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of it? Mm -hmm. It's like um, personality profiling. Everyone in our business, from an engineer to salespeople, go through it. Basically, you answer a load of multiple choice questions that are all very similar, um, and it spits out who you are, what you like. I, I did wow. mine first 10 years ago. I did it again a year ago uh, with the team, and it's pretty much the same. Really? Um, but it, it, it codifies it beautifully. So it's like red is, I'm generalizing, but red is direct, yellow is gregarious, outgoing, blue is detailed, green is caring, and everyone has different conscious and subconscious parts of this ultimately but if someone understands themselves much better then they're going to understand the person they're selling to so often for me it starts with our sales team or the sales rep going do you really know yourself yeah because then you can really adapt and then you can really change and then you can really change your mindset to go well i'm an account executive and i'm pitching to this c up c level person i'm going to put myself here and i think that's you know just in terms of the mindset and the mentality, but it's understanding yourself and then understanding mm. someone's like, you have to get a bit kind of rain man about it. You know, yeah. you're kind of go into a room and you're like, right, Roy's like this. Roy wants that. Roy's going to be direct. He's going to want this in 10 seconds, not 30. You know, the, the, these things have to, you have to adapt. And that, you know, that's, that's to do with the mindset for me. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I've always been very skeptical of those things because with ADHD, I 
one day my outlook is this, one day my outlook is that. Like I, I've I've done the the Myers Briggs, you know, the sixteen personalities. I think I've done not, I've had nine personalities uh, <laughs> ascribed to me over this period of time. But that's super interesting to find that after ten years, yours was pretty much where it was. So have you found that this specific test that you're using just seems to be more reliable than some of the stuff out there? Yeah, I, I just think it. It talks generally about strengths, weaknesses. A lot of it is about how you communicate and mm-hmm. how the communication styles you want. So a lot of it is derived from like, well, you know, be short and quick with Roy because, you know, he's got lots of ideas and blah, blah, blah. Like I either, I haven't been officially diagnosed, but I think there's a good chance that I've got ADHD as yep. well. My uh, wife would say definitely. Um, but there, there's a spectrum, right, of kind of where you are For sure. in terms of levels. But yeah, I've, you know, like sitting here now, I can't sit still, you know, because it's just yeah. <laughs> how you are and how you how you kind of operate. But yeah, I, I think it, if you answer it honestly, um and transparently it gives you really accurate results that's great and do you find that people are ever sort of pushing back when they they get their assessment and it's telling them they're xyz they're like ah i'm not xyz there's always a little bit of that but i think most people once they go through the training and they understand the theory behind it actually get it but look again in our business you know just under 100 people or whatever you're hiring for a certain skill you're hiring for a certain culture and we even now we're hiring for team Mm. Um, you know that that's more important than ever is this person a team player because they could have the best skill they might even fit the culture but do they work well as a team uh, is more important than mm. ever in a modern environment I think that's fascinating going back to my point about sales being a dirty word <laughs> I even over the last sort of three four years and I think especially um, you know post economic turmoil over the last 18 months yeah there seems to be like a whole new appreciation of sales again in a way that I haven't seen for a long time. The people are like, okay, yeah. Cause during 2021, it was like, yeah, you've got an amazing product. You got all these things. And now it's like, okay, but can you sell it? Like, uh, where's the sales? Where's the revenue? And I think that's a, a, a really useful shift uh, in terms of, of, of companies becoming more revenue focused, focused on those really important fundamentals on the unit economics, rather than a lot of the vanity metrics that I think were pumping up what we were seeing in the markets across 2021. Have you seen a, 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 an impact on, on that in the way that you're able to acquire customers and on your position in the market? H- how do you see the perception of sales changing over that period of time? Well, I, li- I lived in the US for five years. So I was over there 2012, 2013. People were starting to sell on video. It's starting to become dominant. That gave us some of the ideas for Jiminy and capturing and mining this data. Um, but ultimately, when you... When you look at going through COVID, you, people have had to get better at selling. Selling on video is harder. You know, if I went and sat in a meeting with you and had a coffee and shook your hand and blah, 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 blah. You know, you, you, it's much easier. To, people go on Zoom or Teams and become robots. Right? Mm. You know, it's weird. Like you have to kind of ease people in. It's harder to build a relationship. So people have, people have had to learn to do that. And then I think, you know, every, every business now has got a thousand pains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what they're going to have one or two priorities. And I think the best salespeople right now are working out what the company's priority is and making sure that their product or their service can derive enough value to the, the priority. Because, you know, oh, here's a pain, here's my product, you know, it's not enough. Yeah, um, okay. So it's evolving, for sure. And I think people have to be better. People have to be better at telling stories. We all know the old adage, um, you know, uh, the salesperson used to have all the power. Now everything's online, review sites, whatever. So mm. people's expectations definitely, I can speak from from our customers, is 
they want a partnership. They just don't just want to buy shit anymore. Mm. Uh, they, they want a partner that's going to help them, you know, do it in a, an amazing way. Really, really interesting. And I think it's one of the things that uh, I've seen a few across a few of the businesses that I've invested in. What they've found to be mm-hmm. uh, a really key part of that story is, for example, if they're looking at channel partners, actually they want a partner who the partner's customers mm-hmm. are going to spend more with a partner if they can use your technology successfully, right? It's like there's so much value in that. And it, it's not lo- it's no longer like, a, well, you can make a 5% referral fee. Mm-hmm. You know, it's well, actually me distributing your product is going to benefit me in that big way. So I, I think we are certainly seeing a lot more um, requirement to demonstrate that value and and for that value to, to really go beyond just maybe like a, referral scheme something like that so i think that's one of the big changes that i've seen there Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that investors are putting a lot more emphasis on it you know from from what i saw in 2021 it was all about okay great well we need to be shooting for product-led growth and we need to be really shooting for virality coming from the product itself and and obviously that is amazing when you can achieve it but now i think there's a hardcore realization that in order to achieve product market fit you, know, you don't arrive at product-led growth overnight. You don't arrive at product market fit overnight. It's a multi-year battle mm-hmm. between the company and the market, driven by sales and marketing, for you to have enough goes at selling your product to understand where that product market fit is. And I think that is obviously only um, achievable through sales. And I think investors are really, really starting to put more emphasis on that. Yeah, I, th- I think it depends on the company, the vertical, the sector, but you can be hoodwinked into thinking you've got product market fit. You can have an X amount of number numbers or X amount of revenue. Doesn't mean that you've mm. got product market fit. The, the barometer for, you know, can this happen without me? Can it be sold without me? You know, is there a repeatable process? Mm-hmm. You know, is there all those things, right? I think, I think it's very business specific, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, look, I always think, from my experience in the US like revenue is is king and like how how you kind of push that but yeah I think uh, people uh, what I hear more uh, at the moment is we've always been like this very capital efficient I worked in with high growth private equity at Royal Gateway yeah we were bootstrapped for a long time Um, our investors who are great now are kind of what I'd call more growth equity and that's about having a high growth business that's there for the slightly longer term view mm-hmm. looking after their customers and their people doing it in a capital efficient way mm-hmm. um, but like everyone's got that talk track right now <laughs> um, I'm sure it will change again but like uh, companies you know uh, definitely have a different view on how they think businesses should be operating but uh, that's kind of norm for us yeah. we've always been like that but I don't think for most people that's an adjustment yeah I, and I think it's a really, really good point and we're certainly seeing the requirement for a business to prove the market need for its offering in a bad economy. And I don't think the argument that, well, in a good economy, this flies, it's going to hold any weight anymore because there is no guarantee of when the economy does get Mm -hmm. good again. So I think you're totally right. Being able to prove that market demand and scale revenue in a capital efficient way um, is is definitely the flavor of the month. Yeah, I mean, if you were pre-seed or pre-revenue now, I I can only imagine it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, people have just got blinkers on about stuff. doesn't matter how good your product looks or, you know, what pain it solves, you know, it would be harder yeah. in a lot of instances. I mean, 
I think the uh, it's quite rare for me to say. I think the government's done a great job with um, increasing that SEIS uh, allowance to 250k. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, that is such a lifeline for those businesses. I think the ones who are are really struggling right now is if you're one of those EIS companies where you don't have that same level of the tax benefit around the investment, but you're you know too early for any product market fit or significant revenue, and you're competing with EIS companies raising EIS, which are already at that at that point. It's very difficult right now, I think. Well, yeah, tenuous link to going back to, you know, how much do you refine the product, like you said, versus just getting out there and selling it. Mm. I mean, we sold vapor, like where just talking to people, just getting their feedback before it was even finished, you know, waiting and then sold. I've said this many times, but I'd say we were telling people it was beta and charging $65 a user, but it's definitely alpha. Yeah. <laughs> and the pay- of course. But when you've got 10 customers and they're all paying, and you care and they care that you learn fast. Um, so the, exactly. the, the biggest bit of advice I could give to anyone listening who's a founder is just sell it, get out there, charge for it, and then you'll learn much, you'll learn much faster yes. uh, than doing free or anything, anything else like that. And absolutely that. And I think because we live in a, um, a very, very, in some sense, a moralistic society. People do care about morals or at least claim to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of founders that I see, they see a moral issue with um, selling a product vision mm-hmm. versus where the product is right now. But the reality is you need to do that in order to start learning. Yeah, but I, you know, I would just get them to look at crossing the chasm. You know, the book. Yeah. And you're not, you're not looking for, you know, you're looking for the person who buys a flat screen TV when it's 10k. Yeah. Not for the person who waits that everyone's got one and it's 1k. You know, in Tesco, or whatever. You know, so you're you're looking for the innovators. You're looking for the buyer that takes a risk and does something different. As long as you you find them out, um, you'll be safe because they know what they're getting themselves in for. They're taking a risk too you know, at the same time. Yeah, that's perfectly put. I think it's amazing advice for founders. I was, I was sitting down with one of my, my biggest investors yesterday and he was just saying, you know, we've seen so many companies who have spent three years trying to perfect a product and then they start selling it and then realize there's a fundamental flaw in the business model and actually that product, even though the product itself was, was great and looked brilliant, yeah. actually it was no longer serving a market need. So that's it. Quick and dirty MVP figure out what the hell's going on and then invest to make the product what it needs to be. I think the thing with that is nothing's ever finished. Yeah. It's never finished. There's always something else you can build. There's always another bell and whistle you can put on. There's always another feature. You know, just it takes years to refine a product. So you might as well start selling it and then, you know, a huge amount of our roadmap, you know, is driven by our customer. Uh, And I think, you know, on that journey, if people are thinking... You know, how do you get from X to Y in revenue? It's just talk to customers and listen. They know what they want. For a good 50, 60, 70% of your roadmap can be driven by that. Yes. You know. The great thing about customers is they're not shy of telling you what else you could do to make yourself better, right? And it's great. It's the beautiful thing about customers is they will let you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. There are um, five, six questions I ask everyone. Not quick fire. We'll just talk around these, but I'm... I'm you know, with the journey you've been on, I'm super intrigued to understand a bit more about, about you as a person on this side. So mm-hmm. what do you think the single biggest risk you've ever taken was and what was the outcome? Oh, um, it's a good question. I was intrigued to understand what the questions are. Yes, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> um, I know it sounds silly, but 
I grew up in a town called Worthing, which is near Brighton. Uh, and, you know, I probably just when I was 18, I was like, I'm leaving. Yep. And I'm getting out. And I'm going to do something different. And I moved to London. And then I was in London and worked abroad for a little bit and then lived in the US. And then I went on my journey, you know. So I think when fundamentally down, like I got out of the town that I was born in. And it's a great town. I've got lots of mates there and stuff like that. But I think ultimately, that was a risk. Most people don't do that. Most people stay where they were born or yes. in and around there. And for me, you know, um, taking that step and just, it feels a long time ago now. It's probably the best thing I ever did. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's, I actually read something about this uh, a couple of months ago. 90% of people are born, live and die within a five mile radius. You know, it's 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 amazing to see how few of us do yeah you know, move out to different things. Um, so, what was the plan when you were eighteen and, and left? No plan. <laughs> no plan, boy. No, you just I just went up to London. Uh, my my auntie lived in Battersea. Very kindly, uh, let me stay in her spare room, and I just started applying for jobs. Nice. Okay. Came, you know. And what was the what was the first job that that you landed? Work, working in a health club. There's a right. brand new health club at the back of Paddington Station. It was like a pre-sale. So we were selling to like Visa, Prudential. So I got exposed to different things. Um, but yeah, that was the first job. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. And in your career, in your life, is there anything you wish you did differently? Uh, I don't have any regrets. Like if you want to phrase it like that. Yeah. Um, I always say I have lots of micro fails, <laughs> but then I don't. I uh, try not to fail in the overall goal. Yes. Um, Lose the battles, not the war. Yeah. Do you know Do you know what? When I left Raw Gateway, I mean, uh, the founder of that business, I, I worked like it, I was the founder for, for Glenn for eight or nine years. Um, I worked exceptionally hard. And I took about three months off. And after about six weeks, I had so many ideas for Jiminy, I just start, started again. So I, I, the one thing I wish is I took a bigger break. And I think anyone who gets that opportunity to take um, a gap in between high-pressure jobs, founding companies, um, if they're lucky enough to have those opportunities, make sure you take that break. I think it's important. Time is everyone's uh, best commodity, right? You know, you want time, family, friends, whatever. So, yeah, I just wanted to get into it again too quick. In hindsight, if I'd taken four or five months, it wouldn't have made a huge difference to kind of where we are today. Yeah. That's that's a really really interesting one, and uh, I was fortunate enough after after we sold Real Sport, I spent, um, yeah, seventeen months between that and founding Connected, and I was oh, I was just angel well investing. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I was angel investing. I was doing stand up four nights a week. I was loving it, and just you know going to the gym loads, and just it was one of them where my co-founder at Real Sport, my last business, mm-hmm. he did what you did. So three weeks later. He had founded something new, and part of me was jealous. I was like, "Oh God, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting lost behind." You know mm. what I mean? Like, "Oh, he's onto something new. I should really be on something new." FOMO, and FOMO, exactly that. And it was, um, it was a hard moment in time. It was, you know, such a mental shift operating at that level for so long, as you said. And um, I was, so I was really, yeah, really, really grateful to have that time off. And I certainly think it's it's helped ward. Um, what could have been burned out much easier. But how, how do you manage that side? Because obviously the Jiminy journey has been insane, yeah. right? It's not exactly like it was a slow starter. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's that thing about enjoying the journey as well. You know that. You, you've been successful and you've had a transaction, sold a business like there's no fucking parade and mm. oh, everyone's <laughs> coming around your house after slapping you on the back. It kind of just happens and then that's it. And then you're kind of high and then you're a bit low Yeah. because um, you've 
you kind of hit a goal. Um, so then you have to kind of revisit again. Uh, you know, I don't try and define myself as anything. Like I'm not Tom, the great salesperson, not Tom, the CEO. Just learning. That's my intro, fuck, yeah. Ben. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> but like, uh, no, but I just mean that like one day I might do this, one day I might do that. I'm on a journey. I'm learning. So I think when you you try and define yourself as, as something, when you're not that thing anymore, it becomes painful. Yeah, maybe I'll be a chairman, maybe I'll do this. And I think if you try not to wrap yourself up in just being one thing, uh, that tends to help me kind of mentally deal with it. It's really interesting because I certainly for myself, like one of my biggest fears is my identity is so linked mm -hmm. to being this character, this role, right? And it, it means that for a lot of founders who are in that situation, and I'm sure we both know lots of them, where everything revolves around they are CEO founder, for example, mm -hmm. is if it doesn't work out, it's like an identity death, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like a real crisis there. And I see it happen to a lot of people. I think it's very, very difficult. So I think it's amazing that you're, you've got the stoicism to be able to say, and, or at least take a step back from it and say, well, actually, you know, I'm not going to put myself in that box and, and, and tie my identity in that strongly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. On to my next question. What are you proudest of? Oh, um, do, do you know what? There's, there's, I've answered this question before, and I think if I think back to Raw Gateway and even Jiminy, we're still a part way through the journey of where I think we can get to as a business, a company. Raw Gateway, you know, shitty little office in Notting Hill, eight people, and now there's like 450 people, you know, billion dollar business, whatever. So for me, that, that I guess, piece where there's so many people who are contributing to the economy, have a fantastic career, whether they're there or not, and gone on a journey. So I'm quite proud of that. You know, there's 80 people uh, in Idiot Jiminy now, and they're very passionate about their job, and they love coming to work. And I think that's one of the most rewarding things, actually, for me, that when you build a business, you, you contribute to the economy. People kind of forget that there are the... Mm little economic things that, that help the, the country or, or the, you know, um, like that. And I think, um, you know, seeing people grow and thrive in your business when they come in at X level and then suddenly, you know, over a period of time they become senior and they kind of learn their trade. I think that, that people element is probably something I'm most proud of. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs I speak to say a similar thing. It's either being able to, you know, really facilitate someone's journey and see them grow in that way, or if it's, you know, they've got options in the company and it, it could be a life-changing moment for them. It's, it's an amazing thing to, to see. Um, one of the things I was proudest of with, with Real Sport is we had someone who came in as an intern, mm -hmm. and after seven years now, or eight years now it must be, um, they're now head of design for a PLC because we were acquired by a PLC. And it's like, that is for me, like it's just such an incredible thing to see that journey there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's all about the people. People used to say that to me. It's all about people. And I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. What does that even mean? But now I get it completely. doesn't matter what company. Um, and it's a cliche, but it's only as good as your, your people. Every mm -hmm. interaction, what you build, what you sell, how you talk to customers, how support works, you know, every element of your business comes down to how they interact as humans so it's important so with that in mind mm. and, and Jimmy, as you said now 80 people approaching to 100 people mm. how much do you invest in the people side of people and what does that look like for you guys 
Um, well, there's different levels, right, of employee engagement when you think about it. You know, there's pay, there's benefits, all the stupid, uh, not the, the little bits and pieces that you think are are really critical. Yeah. So that you have to start with them. They have to be right. Um, and then for me, it's it's the environment. It's the other people they work with. It's, fle- it's being flexible. I mean, we just did something recently. Like, we haven't got big budgets still. Like, you know, we don't have that. So you've got to be creative. Like, yes. we, we've done something called, like, Summer Fridays from the end of May to September where, you know, people can finish at 1 o'clock. Nice. You know, in Europe, we don't have good weather for that long throughout <laughs> the year. So, you know, uh, people can be focused, get their stuff done on a Friday and then go enjoy the weekend a bit earlier. So that's, that's something really nice. that's something that's like cost us zero really, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but has a big impact on employee engagement and stuff like that. Um but yeah, look, I think most of our feedback on our EMPS is like the people they work with, the environment, the culture. Because that, that's what it is. It's all about living your values and people feeling valued at work and, mm. and that they're contributing. And do you have like a, a head of people at the stage of business that you are? Do you have like someone whose role it is to be that defender of culture or, or is this just like a shared, you know, we all know what we're working towards. We all we all build it that way. We used to do more around recruiting when we had to hire like 50 people in a year or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but re- really, we have quite a tight SLT, like senior leadership team. So it's pretty much at this level it can be owned and it's kind of driven by me and our CFO. So at, the, at some point it, we'll, we'll need someone in that role. But for now, as a collective, we kind of own it. That's great. That's great. And with the size of company that you are, and this is me totally being selfish <laughs> and picking your brains for my company, right? Um, as a CEO, obviously a big part of our job dealing with shareholders, dealing with stakeholders, dealing with all the, the back end part of, mm-hmm. of the business in many ways. How do you find um, the challenge of dividing your time between because there's no one who's a better embodiment of the culture and everything else than you, right? How do you manage the time between the things that have to be done on that side and have making enough time for your people and making sure that they feel they've got access to you and everything else? It's a really difficult part of the job, I think. Yeah, people look from the outside in and go, oh, you see, oh, you're the top. No, you're not. You're in a sandwich. Yeah, yes, exactly. Because you're in the middle and you've got the investors, um, <laughs> everyone else, backers, whatever, however your business works. And then you've got your team and your people underneath you're responsible for. So actually, you're just in the middle. You're not that perfectly. Like, I'm so glad you've put words to how I've been feeling. That's, yeah. that's very useful. Um, so look, I, I kind of had a couple of rules in my head. It might be different for other people like customers prospects customers like like you guys it always comes first i'll move stuff around same with people and team you know just, i think people are too easy to cancel one-to-ones don't do them weekly um do them monthly month what happens in a month in your business you know nuts yeah too long you can't go that long so frequent conversations being there on whatsapp or the phone so if you put the customer and people first Everything else you just got to fucking find time for. Mm. Yeah, so unfortunately, you might have to get up at six in the morning and do something. That just comes with the territory. Or you might have to work three nights a week till midnight um, and do the other shit in that time. Um, write a spec for this, do whatever, have an yeah. idea. But if you're fundamentally filling your day and the core time when people are around with customers and people, 60, 70% of that is what I do, then I think, I might, hopefully, it all pans out I'm, I'm spending the right amount of time uh, with what moves the needle, making our team better, listening to our team, you know, listening to our customer, supporting the customer, you know. Amazing. I think that's uh, great advice for any founder CEO listening to this, so thank you for that. 
My next question is, is there anything you wish you did differently? What, just in life, generally? Whatever that question means to you. Uh, well, the first version of Jiminy, I wish I didn't build a fucking video conference when Zoom blew up. That <laughs> definitely put us back a little bit, but that was our pivot, right? Um, then we went to an integrations model. Um, maybe I wish I didn't do... Um, I, th I think uh, I think in the early days when you're a founder, like I'm all over the competition, looking at our market, looking at our ecosystem. You have to be on it with everything, you mm -hmm. know, making sure you understand it, and and your team do as well. But I think being there's a there's a line between being obsessed, um, and I think you know, trying to you know not run your own race and move too fast, too quick. How can we be the biggest? How can we be the best? You know, my early sort of first two years as a founder, I worried about that too much and probably made some decisions that I, in hindsight, looking back, I wouldn't do again. Um, but it's all part of the journey, all part of the learning. But I think, you know, things do take time. It takes four years to get known most yeah. of the time, unless you're Google or Facebook, right, which is the exception, not the rule. So it takes four years, as you know, to grind it out and just get a reputation. And it takes over 10 years to grow a proper business. Mm. And I think when you sign up for it, you got to have that in your head, yeah? And I think everyone has, oh, we'll get to the first million by here. Oh, we'll do this by that. And, uh, you know, most businesses, that that's the that's what you're signing up for. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, it's um, more amazing advice. And I sat down with one of my investors yesterday who was, I was just saying to them, how long, you know, they've, they've invested like 150 companies. Like, mm -hmm. How long does it take to get good? And they were like, yeah, you know, after 15 years, you know if it's going to be a really interesting business. I'm like, wow, like that's how they see it. Like mm -hmm. they, they're looking at things Very long on term. that time horizon. And it's it's funny because, you know, normally that I get pitched. Uh, do, do you angel invest at all? Uh, I've done a couple of funds and stuff, but not... Fine, just, fine. So, you know, they're, they're pitching these usual exit time horizon to five to seven years. And it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's not... <laughs> that's not really going to happen. Yeah, I th I th yeah, it's interesting as well, like that whole thing. I talk to the team about it a lot, like, look, I don't want to be the old git who the complains about different generations, but yeah. like pe people have different uh, perspectives on uh, what they should do. Oh, I've been here a year, now I should be this, or I should be, like, yeah, rolling your eyes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, my wife did a, a talk once talking about how long it takes to master something. So 10,000 hours. Yeah. How long, if you're an AE, how long does it take to do 10,000 demos? Probably about four and a half years. Most people think they're a fucking shit hot salesman after a year and a half. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, you serious? Like, I think people's mindset and mentality is like, you know, that first bit till we did the, the inflection deal at Raw Gateway, mm -hmm. we were just out selling, working out. That's two and a half, three years of doing the same thing. It's getting better, bigger deals, more customers, but it's still like three years of pretty much most people in that first 50, 60 doing the same role. Um, but people want everything yesterday and then we got an on-demand culture, yes. which is, is what it is. People grow up in different environments, but I think you have to help people understand uh, that things just take a little bit more time than they think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, and, and, you know, I think the point you're alluding to there, when we do live in a, a society which is driven by instant gratification, and, and I think... You know, the way that the TikToks, the Instagrams of the world have rewired our brains for this consistent, instant dopamine hit, right? It's it's fucking a lot of people's heads up mm -hmm. um, whether they do want that. And it's uh, it's amazing to see the ambition, this is the, the positive spin on it, the ambition 
of of the youngest generation but for sure you know it's um i think organizations which yield to that requirement to say right well promotion after everything it's unsustainable where does it go and then it all becomes meaningless right because now you have like 16 layers in every vertical just so that everyone can have a promotion every single year and it, it does start to lose meaning uh yeah i think so i think i think there's a there's no problem with ambition like mm. you've got ambition i've got ambition everyone wants the next step on the ladder everyone wants more money there's no problem with that at all it's all about how you go about it mm. i think simon cynic talking about it like you go to someone and say oh i've been here a year um can I, I think i should have a pay rise now and a promotion or you could say hey roy i'm really enjoying working here you know i'm loving it i really want to progress to the next step what do i need to do to help with that like how can i get there you know, so you're asking for it in a different way. And I think that's, you know, oh, you can go on a whole one like, you know, no one gets taught. Like when it gets into business and work and you're running a company or your team are working, all it is is about communication and people. Mm. All Everything that goes wrong back to communication, yet we don't teach it. Mm. We don't teach people how to have important so conversations. True. We don't teach people how to communicate. Like that doesn't happen at school. Teach people how to do fucking equations all the time. <laughs> Don't use that when you're running a business. Like, so I, I get it. Like the whole system's messed. You know, you need to, we need to be teaching different things at different levels or, mm. or not that you don't do those things, but you do a, a, a lot of other things as well to learn how to be better, better person. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, I'm not surprised to see how many entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that I know who have exited being an entrepreneur one way or other, who are now fascinated by psychology they all <laughs> want to go back and study psychology they want to go back and study neuroscience because they've learned it's all about people to our previous mm -hmm. point and it's uh it is a really really interesting journey and and one of looking in the mirror about who you are as a person and what you see in other people and i think it's a, a really interesting part of the founder journey um okay my my second to last question for you is what does it take to be successful to be successful to me um, and it can be different to other people, is uh, mindset, discipline, grit, determination. Th that That is what you need. Um, and at the same time, you need to be humble. Yeah, you, you need to be able to, you might not like it when you hear it, I'm my first reaction sometimes, but I'm good at feedback. Someone might tell me stuff, something and I'm like, but the, I'll be like a goldfish two minutes, I'm like, okay, that was a good point, we've got to fix that or change that, so... You know, mindset, mentality, determination, and being humble. You know, if you, if you can apply those things, you can learn anything. You know, if you, if you wanted to go learn how to code now or do chat GPT, even Python, you could go do it. That's just a skill. You know, the other bit you've got to train yourself to do. Yeah. I, I talked about this recently in one of my talks I did. Is like, you don't, like you talk, you don't wake up motivated every day. doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. But if you, if, you, if you get up at 5.30 and go to the gym four or five days a week, that's just discipline. Yeah, That's not motivation. I'm not motivated to go to the gym every day. Some some days you do a 5K run and it's really fucking hard. Other days you're like, oh, yeah, I'm killing this. But it's just about discipline and mindset and getting into uh, a rhythm. And I think that sometimes with that ADHD that you talk about is like you, you like uh, routine and you like control and that often spurns out into like OCD and, and different things like that. So, you know, I think it becomes easier for mm. for CEOs and founders who have that because they want, you yes. know, to be, I've got, everything's got to be great. Everything's got to be perfect. Got to do this. Won't give up. Kind of comes more naturally, I think, when you. 
That's it. It's really, really interesting. I, I love the point about motivation and discipline. Mm. By the way, I think you're spot on. If we were all motivated all the time, things would be easy, right? It's about what happens in the 90% of the time when we're not motivated to do the things that we need to do. And also a really interesting point on the um, scheduling piece. I, I'm up at 4.45 every morning. I, I thought you I thought you might be. <laughs> I have my half hour routine on lock. And it's like it's it's been about turning down that voice, which is like, oh fucking hit the snooze button. Mm-hmm. And I want to hit the snooze button so badly. But it's like, no, no, no. I need my time is boxed. Like I need to go and make sure this happens. Otherwise my life becomes a mess. Right? I'm I'm six days without a schedule away from being homeless. That's how I see my life at any point, right? It's got you've got to be on that. Yeah. You know, you've really got to be on that route. Um no, amazing advice, Tom. Okay, my last one for mm-hmm. you is, and I haven't prepped you on this question at all. What scares you? Oh, what scares me? Um other than snakes and sharks. <laughs> uh no, I'm joking. Um I I think what a lot of the time it sounds a pretty obvious answer is like the fear of failing probably. Feeling like you got something to prove to someone all the time. Uh, you know, just that, that blind determination to probably for most people comes from I just won't let it fail. I'll find a way. Uh, so I think subconsciously probably the, the fear of it not not achieving. Don't know where it comes from. Probably need some therapy for that. It's it's an interesting (laughs) one, right? Like so many of us are in the same boat. And I think uh, it's remarkable how much of the world is influenced by people's desire to just fill whatever that hole is, right? Like is I, I this is a little bit controversial. Like is Mark Zuckerberg just the Genghis Khan of, you know, of 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 2023? Mm-hmm. Right, like, is it still the same human desires to like see yourself replicated in other places? The same human desires to, you know, fill these needs, and I think that's uh, it's one of the amazing, scary, and exciting things about life, right? But it also speaks to the power that any one individual has. You know, if if that fear or that love or that passion or that strength is big enough within you, no limits what you can achieve, mm-hmm. and then how much change you can impact. Agreed. Tom, anything you want to plug? Ooh, uh, look, if, if anyone's interested in Jiminy, I know you guys are big fans. You can go to www.jiminy, which is two N's, J-M-I-N-N-Y. Um, and uh, you can go find us there. Or you can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always happy to have a chat or help anyone uh, along the journey, especially um, any founders or CEOs who are, you know, one or two stages behind us in the journey. Um, more than happy to have a chat. Tom, you're a legend. Thank you so much, mate. Cool. Thanks, Roy.